Welcome to the 18th episode of the Head Kick KO podcast. I'm your host, James Herrick, and today we're going to be doing a full breakdown of UFC Fight Night, Derek Lewis versus Curtis Blades, and then afterwards we're going to look at some of the other news in the MMA world, and we're going to finish off by looking forward to next week's fight card, which is Surreal Gan versus Jarzinho Rosenstrike. So, we're going to start off from the top with Derek Lewis versus Curtis Blades. Now, obviously, if you saw this, you would know this was a vicious KO by Derek Lewis. He had Curtis Blades out stiff, and he hit him with a very, very solid uppercut when Curtis Blades was coming in for a takedown, and he put Curtis Blades out cold. So, the main thing that I saw from Derek Lewis that I really liked was he was very patient, and he came in with a very good game plan. He allowed Curtis Blades to back him up, up against the fence all night long, which in most cases... That's a recipe for disaster, allowing your opponent to back you up against the cage. But I really like this uh, strategy by Derek Lewis because when you're moving forward, it gives it gives Curtis Blades an opportunity to get a takedown. But when you don't, when you kind of plant your feet and stand at the fence, you you prevent that takedown. And if Blades attempts to take you down, you have the fence there behind you to help you uh, defend that takedown. And it played into his larger strategy of letting Curtis Blades come in where he can land a big uppercut or he can land a big knee. So he had that game plan coming in with the knee or the uppercut. He was able to land the uppercut and he put Curtis Blades out cold with that. So I really like that aspect from Derek Lewis. And Derek Lewis showed once again his patience. Derek Lewis is the type of guy to come in with a game plan. He has that game plan. He sticks to it and he doesn't try to force things, which I really like. Sometimes this can make for boring heavyweight fights. Uh, that's pretty much what happened against his, with his fight with Ngannou. He came in, he was very patient, and those opportunities didn't uh, didn't show themselves. So it was a very boring fight. But in, in the heavyweight division, that's what you have to do. You can't go out there and take risks at heavyweight as you can at some of these lower weight classes. If you take big risks at heavyweight, the chances of you getting knocked out are very strong. Pretty much every time you see two heavyweights get in a big striking encounter, it ends with someone getting wobbled. And that's just the nature of the heavyweight game. And I feel like Derek Lewis has realized that and he has used that to his advantage to where he stays out of trouble and he keeps himself in good positions. So, yeah, he waited for that Curtis Blades entry and when, once, he, uh, once he did enter, he was, able to, he was able to land that uppercut and he put Curtis Blades down. And I believe that was the second um, official takedown attempt. You had one kind of takedown attempt in the first 30 seconds. That could have technically been called a takedown, but that type of takedown attempt isn't going to get you a takedown. It was more of just a, he did, Curtis Blades did level change there in the first 30 seconds, but it, Derek Lewis didn't have to do much to defend it. And then uh, Curtis Blades did have another takedown attempt. And uh, Derek Lewis was able to stuff that, really show his wrestling. That was a single leg by Curtis Blades that Derek Lewis stuffed. And then obviously the last takedown attempt, uh, Derek Lewis put Curtis Blades away. So I was very impressed. We had we saw some great improvements in takedown defense from Derek Lewis. And I'm glad we can see that. Um, that really shows that if he ever does get a chance to take on someone like Stipe or John Jones, he can defend the takedown in that heavyweight division. So Derek Lewis has set, it, set himself up really nicely here in the heavyweight division. 
in the post-fight press conference, he called out Alistair Overeem. This is an interesting call-out here um, in a sense that I think this makes sense in a way, and it also doesn't make sense in a way. It doesn't make sense in a way that Alistair Overeem is the number six-ranked guy, and he's coming off a knockout loss to Alexander Volkov. So, and Derek Lewis, I'm assuming, is going to get bumped up to two after this. Curtis, Curtis Blades was two. I'm sure Derek Lewis will rise to two behind Nganu in those heavyweight rankings. So you have uh, you were in a position here where if you're Derek Lewis, who do you fight next? I think the obvious answer is the winner of Jarzinho Rosenstrike and Surreal Gan next week. But as of right now, you're looking around in those rankings and he already beat Alexander Volkov. That was a major comeback by... Derek Lewis, and it was several years ago. I don't know if the UFC would be interested in booking a part two to that, but Derek Lewis already does have a win there against Alexander Volkov. If you look at the rest of the division, it's uh, he just beat Blades, and then that really doesn't give you much other than the winner of Jarzinho Rosenstrike and Cyril Gan, but they could give one of those guys to Alexander Volkov. If Volkov gets the winner of Rosenstrike, and gone, then Derek Lewis has put himself in a big position to get Alistair Overeem because you could make the case that Alistair Overeem doesn't deserve that fight coming off a loss to a lower-ranked opponent. But if Derek Lewis wants that fight and he wants to stay active, that would be a good fight for both guys. If Alistair Overeem truly wants to make one last run at the title, it would have to be you'd have to get through Derek Lewis to do that. And on the other hand, if you are if you are Derek Lewis, you're looking at this and you go, well, uh, Alistair Overeem didn't look um, incredibly impressive in his last performance, so now's a good time. I can get a win over him, and I can stay active before a potential heavyweight title fight that would be late at the very best, would be late 2021, early 2022, if Derek Lewis does get that shot. But there are other contenders. You have Volkov out there. So... And obviously, John Jones is getting the next one. And if John Jones wins, we could see Izzy move up to heavyweight. Um, I doubt that Izzy moves up to heavyweight. I don't see that happening, but I don't want to rule that out. I think that we do have the potential to see that. So if you're Derek Lewis, just chipping off names is a very good strategy. If he thinks he can go out there and beat Alistair Overeem, and I think if they were to make that matchup right now, I think Derek Lewis would be the overwhelming favorite. And I think most fans would have Derek Lewis in that fight. So taking out respected names that you're a big favorite against is a good way to chip names off the list and kind of ensure that you get you get that title shot once this heavyweight pitcher kind of um, kind of clears up and we get some we get some more parity in the future. So now for Curtis Blades, Curtis Blades didn't look um, bad at all. Curtis Blades looked very good actually. Obviously he did get knocked out, but he won the first round. And the thing that stuck out to me the most is how Curtis Blades was using his jab. Now, traditionally, we see Curtis Blades go jab, and then he hits you with the jab, and he level changes for that takedown. But in the most re- in this fight against Derek Lewis, he was hitting that jab, but then he wasn't going for the takedown. So he was just throwing that jab out there, and he kept throwing that jab out there, and every time he threw that jab, you get the reaction for Derek Lewis, where Derek Lewis look, uh, kind of expects that takedown to come. So I was very, I think that's a very good strategy moving forward. 
if you're facing the likes of uh, like someone like John Jones or someone like that, if you're Curtis Blades, where you can throw that jab out there and consistently connect with the jab, because if you're another if you're another striker in the heavyweight division, by Curtis Blades throwing that jab in your face, you expect takedown. So since you're expecting the takedown, you can't counterpunch that jab and you kind of have to react to that jab and that even um, opens up more opportunities for combos off that jab. So I was so impressed by the way Curtis was using that jab. Curtis also did a very good job beating up that lead leg of Derek Lewis. Uh, Derek Lewis in the post-fight press conference said that those didn't have a big effect on him, but in a five-round fight, if he lands some more of those, we could have saw that effect sooner rather than later. So I really liked how he was utilizing those leg kicks. And leg kicks for a wrestler are a very good strategy because if you can get one leg damaged, it makes it so much easier to get in for a takedown and get that takedown. For example, if you beat up the if you beat up the right leg and you have someone's right leg compromised, you shoot a single leg on their left leg and then they're st- standing there jumping up and down on their on their compromised right leg there. So if you can beat up one leg and then take down on the other leg, it really puts someone in a tough position to defend that takedown, specifically single leg takedowns. So that's something that uh, we could see in the future from Curtis Blades, and I hope he keeps that in his game. And I think that could that jab that he really utilized along with those leg kicks could be some very good tools for the evolution of Curtis Blades' striking. And Curtis Blades did look very good in the striking. Like I said, he won the first round, and he was able to back up Derek Lewis. Obviously, I think that was Derek Lewis's game plan. But anytime you're the striker and you have someone backed up against the fence, in the judge's eyes, it looks like you're winning the fight. So he did a very good job of controlling the octagon, even if Derek Lewis kind of allowed that to happen. So what is next for Curtis Blades? I think Curtis Blades needs to... Um, sit out he's i think he's obviously going to take some time off and then it takes some time off and we'll see how the heavyweights get paired up here in the future i think we're going to see some pairings and then i think the outskirts of those pairings are going to be what's left for curtis blades um specifically if we get into specifics uh we have jarzinho and surreal gone fighting next week like we mentioned earlier so if in like a situation where um, more likely if Jarzinho loses to Cyril Gan, I think that'd be a very likely matchup. If Gan loses, they might slide him back down in the rankings and might not want to give him someone of Curtis Blades' caliber. But if if Jarzinho loses, then I think they could potentially make that Curtis Blades versus Jarzinho about in the, not the immediate future at all, um, in the several months from now. And then if Gan loses, you could maybe give him Gan, but I think they'd try to move him downwards in the rankings. So we'll see how that works out for Surreal Gan. But that also all depends on how that fight goes. That's a little bit speculatory, and we'll talk more about that next week. Uh, next week, we're, there's going to be, obviously, I'm sitting here now saying who if this person wins or if this person loses. Next week, we'll know who wins, who wins that heavyweight uh, matchup there, so... Uh, next week, we'll go more in-depth on that, I'm thinking. But those are just kind of the baseline thoughts about what is next for Derek Lewis and Curtis Blades. We also had f- uh, two other big heavyweight fights on this card. Uh, the first being Chris Dowskis versus Alexei Olenek. Now, this was an interesting fight for me because I was... Um, 
I, w- I predicted here that we would see Kristaps get the win. But anytime you have Alexi Olenek, he can catch a submission. But Alexi didn't look great. Um, he really, once once Chris Dowska, Chris Dowska started to throw a flurry there, it really uh, showed that I think that uh, Alexi, Alexei Olenek is, I think, I don't know if it was an off day for Alexi or if this is uh, overall showing that he needs to hang him up because he is 43 and he has fought I think that was his 75th fight last night, pro MMA fight. So it's been a long career for Olenek, and I don't think he needs to continue at this point, especially after a performance like that. It was obviously a great performance by Dowskis, but once you saw that flurry, it really looked like Alexei Olenek didn't have the the it factor. Sometimes guys get get in, uh, they get hurt or they get in damaged positions. And they really don't look like they want to fight out of it. They don't look like they want to uh, come back from that adversary. Um, that's something that Glover Teixeira does great. Um, Glover Teixeira, anytime he got dropped by Tiago Santos in his last fight, and he came back and won that fight. So I think that's the difference here between an older guy like Glover and an older guy like Olenek is once they're hurt, I think that shows a lot of uh, the will behind some of these guys. And it's A-OK for uh, Olenek if he wants to retire, and I think everyone would recognize that, and he'd have a great career. Maybe uh, maybe Olenek decides that it's he, he's not ready to retire yet, and you could still pair him up with some of these uh, up-and-comers, and he could become a gatekeeper in the top 10 there, and I think that would be a, um, I think that'd be a perfectly fine uh, thing to do for the rest of his career, but if he keeps performing like he did last night, um, it's looking like he's going to need to hang them up sooner rather than later. And for Chris Dowskis, I was very impressed. He just beat the number 10 guy in the world at heavyweight. So I think he's going to be looking at a ranked opponent next. Um, who is that opponent? That could that opponent could be Tom Espinal. Tom Espinal obviously fought last, last night as well. We're going to look at Espinal as well coming up here soon too. Um, but then I think you could look at... Um, you have you have uh, Alexei Olenek was number ten, and you have number eight and nine, and Shamil and Augusto Sakai. They're both booked up against each other, so I think we can we can put Dowskis in those um, rankings and maybe get him in, in there with someone in the eleven to fifteen range. Maybe Junior Dos Santos, maybe Walt Harris, maybe someone like that would be a good spot for Chris Dowskis, but. Um, I don't quite think he's the number ten guy in the world. I would still cl- I would still classify Dowskis as a more of a prospect than a top ten guy, even though even though Olenek um, is technically ranked number ten, he didn't look like the number ten guy last night. And I just think that um, uh, Dowskis had a great opportunity here, but um, I don't think that win is going to look as good as it does on paper if you watch it. Um, doesn't look as good, doesn't pass the eye test as well as it does the paper test. And in a lot of situations, the eye test is more important. But I like, I don't want to take away from, I don't want to take away from Dowskis here as I do think he is a great fighter. And I think uh, one more ranked win and you can kind of cement yourself as a ranked fighter rather than a prospect. 
And the other great prospect on this card was Tom Espinal. Tom Espinal looked very good here. He had uh, Andre Olaski hurt early. Andre Olaski eventually stuck it out. And then we saw Espinal shoot a double leg and get to the neck of Andre Olaski early. And I think uh, Espinal is also a very good prospect. I'm so excited to see some of these heavyweight prospects. I saw a... I saw a... Um, I saw a tweet and it called for Espinal against Greg Hardy. I think that'd be such a fun fight from a pure boxing standpoint. Greg Hardy's an underrated boxer and I'd like to see that fight. Um, I think that would be a fun next fight for um, Espinal as I don't think they're going to get him in there against a ranked guy. Some of these guys that, um, not, and that's not from an undeserving standpoint from Tom Espinal. I just think that's from an opportunity standpoint. I don't think that there are a lot of opportunities going to get in there with ranked heavyweights right now. We just talked about uh, Dowskis is going to get a, probably a ranked heavyweight. And uh, right now it's looking like those opportunities are slim. So I think he could get a guy and eventually get a ranked opponent. But I do think Espinel is a great, a, great, um, a great prospect in the heavyweight division. And I think this, what we saw from Espinel with the double leg to a rear naked choke, I think that brings up another whole um, discussion about Espinel's grappling. Because when I see a guy like that who's been marketed as a great striker and a quick finisher take someone for a shoot-a-double leg on Andre Orlovsky, it what it shows is it doesn't necessarily show that he's a great grappler, right? I didn't see anything there that makes me go, ooh, uh, Espinel's legit on the ground. But what that does show is it shows comfort. And sometimes being comfortable in grappling exchanges is more important than being the skilled guy. Because if you're not comfortable in there, bad things are going to happen. So I, I like that for Espinel. I like the fact that he was willing to go for a takedown and uh, eventually got the submission. Uh, didn't take long, actually. It took he was probably on the ground for less than five seconds before he got that submission. But it shows the level of comfort that he has on with his ground game that he was willing to shoot that double leg and change the pace of that fight and get that quick submission. So I was very impressed in that. And for Andre Olavsky, Andre Olavsky still looked good. He showed a lot of good things in that fight. He was winning the second round, I believe, up into the point where Espinal shot that takedown, if I'm remembering that correctly. And he's had some very good moments in the first round, um, aside from that early um, or that early shots that damaged him. But I think Andre Olaski is a great gatekeeper, and I don't mean that as an insult. Sometimes Andre Olaski has been a champ, and he's a legend. But I think once you're in this point in your career where you're not going to be a champion again if you're Arlovsky, being a great a, oh, ooh, being a great gatekeeper for the UFC is a very good opportunity to get in there, keep getting fights, and uh, it really gives the UFC and the ability to see, okay, this guy went in there with Andre Olaski and still looked good because Andre Olaski still has talent, but he's not that top tier talent. So I think that's a great gatekeeper, and I mean that in the best way positive possible because when you're at the once you have the age and fighting experience that Arlovsky has to have someone else go in there and and get a win against him means a lot um because he's still talented and he's still a great fighter so I think that's the career path we're going to see for Arlovsky and I think that's a good thing I think that is it's better to be a gate gate, uh, gatekeeper than it is for to have someone calling for your retirement 
because we see a lot of these legends go out there and perform and then immediately people call for retirement. People aren't saying that with Darlovsky. They're saying, hey, he can he can still fight. I think that's what a lot of people are saying. And uh, they want to see him matched up with young heavyweight prospects. So I think that's the career path for Arlovsky. And I think that's a very good career path to have in the future. Now, we're going to move on here to the other news in the UFC. There really wasn't much that happened. So this is going to be a very quick segment. The one big piece of news was... Leon Edwards is going to be fighting Bilal Muhammad. So what we have here is, and you know what? We're going to put a warning on this. My warning here is that we could, I may be able, I may go on a rant here. This may turn into a rant. I'm not, I'm not going to purposely go on a rant here, but this could turn into a rant on the inactivity of the welterweights. We've seen a lot of guys criticize that, so I don't want to go. I don't want to go in too deep on that. You can see Ariel Hawani, Chael Sonnen, both those guys have been very uh, vocal about the inactivity of the welterweight division. Some by choice, some by injury. So, but what we have here is last week, last week we were talking about Leon Edwards versus Colby Covington, okay? And we were thinking that Colby Covington could possibly step in to take this fight. But now we're in a situation where the welterweight division became a mess. It became a mess because Usman said, hey, give me Masvidal. Now, that screwed Colby over because Colby's two fights were Masvidal and Usman. And then by us thinking that we were getting Usman versus Masvidal, then that puts Colby in a bad spot. And Colby says, oh, I'm only fighting Usman or Masvidal. And then Leon Edwards says, hey, I need to fight. And then Colby says, well, your name isn't Usman or Masvidal, so I'm not going to be fighting either of you. Or I'm not going to be fighting you, Leon. So that's the first thing we saw. Gilbert Burns obviously just lost. And then we saw Usman come out again and um, very recently. And he said um, he's not feeling generous anymore and he'll fight anyone. And so... Now we're in a position where now Colby Covington's definitely not going to fight Leon Edwards because he does have the potential to get that Usman fight. So what we're going to see is we're going to see Usman and Masvidal, or excuse me, we're going to see Covington and Masvidal fighting to get either a fight against each other or Usman, and the other one's going to be doing nothing, waiting for some one of the other two. I don't think we see a situation where Colby or Masvidal fight someone other than them, each other or Usman. So if one of those guys gets a shot against Usman, the other one's going to be left out and he's going to be sitting on the sidelines waiting. Gilbert Burns just got knocked out, so I think he's going to take some time off. So that leaves us Leon Edwards at three. So Leon Edwards at three, he was scheduled to fight Asmat Chimaev, okay? And then after that, that fight falls through. So they call Colby, and Colby can't do the fight. And eventually, they worked them. They were trying to get him in the fight with the number one ranked guy, Colby Covington. And eventually, there were so many people that said no to this fight that they had to move all the way down from number one to number thirteen to get to Bilal Muhammad before we got a yes. Um, number one, Colby Covington. We already discussed why he'd say no. Two, Gilbert Burns couldn't do it because he just got knocked out. Then you're looking at four, Jorge Masvidal. We just discussed why he's not doing it. Then you have five, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Couldn't fight on March 13th because he injured his hands against Geoff Neal. You have Michael Chiesa at six. Uh, Ariel Hawani said he was injured as well. You have Tyron Woodley at seven. 
and, and he's fighting Vicente Luque at 10. Then you have 8, Damian Maia. Damian Maia is waiting at what it sounds like to be a fight in Brazil for his retirement fight against another Brazilian. Now, we've had that plan for over a year now. We've had that plan for over a year, and it doesn't look like the UFC is going to Brazil anytime soon. So let's who knows what's going on with Damian Maia, but that wasn't the fight to make. You have Neil Magny at 9, who just lost. Um, we're not sure why he couldn't take that fight. I'm assuming they called Neil, but he did just lose, so we will give him slack on that. 10, Luke A, we already said he's fighting Woodley at 7. Then you have Geoff Neal. Geoff Neal uh, just lost to Wonderboy and got beat up fairly bad in that fight. So uh, he's probably still taking some time off. Then you have Lee Jingli Ang at 12. Um, I don't know why. I don't I don't know if they reached out to uh, Lee or not. But then we got down to 13, Bilal Muhammad, who eventually took the fight. So um, we'll cut Lee Jingliang the, the, some slack here because he is above Bilal Muhammad in the rankings, but we don't know if they called Lee before Bilal. So we'll cut him some slack. Lee Jingliang, you're off the hook. But Bilal Muhammad had the guts to step in here. The amount of guts it takes for Bilal Muhammad if you don't remember, Bilal Muhammad fought on UFC 258, and he looked great in that fight. He looked very good in his fight. He won his fight very convincingly. The only question was leg kicks. Uh, he needed to do a little bit better checking leg kicks, but everything else, he was he was he played the game of hit, uh, hit your opponent and don't get hit. Bilal Muhammad did that to a T. He's in the pocket, touching him up. When his opponent tries to return, he's out of range. And he's got good head movement to stay out. So, Bilal Muhammad decided, hey, I, I fought. So, now it would be, at the time he took the fight, it would have been less than a week. Or a little bit over a week, excuse me. So, I fought a little bit over a week ago. And they needed me to fight in about three weeks to a month. And not only am I fight, not only am I kind of I'm willing to do that. He was willing to do that. But he was willing to do that against the number three guy in the world. For the first time of himself fighting a ranked opponent, the first time of himself in a five-round main event in the UFC, and uh, and it's the biggest fight of his career. So he, on one month's notice, coming off a great performance, said yes. He got the phone call from the UFC and said, hey, we'll give you this opportunity, and he took that opportunity, and he said yes. So what that does for Bilal Muhammad is that he's now one of the UFC's favorites. When the UFC needs a favor and they call you and you say yes, you're now one of the favorites. That's the way it goes in the UFC. Uh, sorry, I don't make the rules. I'm just telling you what the rules are. So Bilal Muhammad is now one of the UFC's favorite fighters. As long as he doesn't ask for more money, probably, he will stay as one of the UFC's favorite fighters. And he had the guts to step in to fight Leon Edwards on, on short notice. So, so much respect to Bilal Muhammad here. And a lot of people are saying that Bilal Muhammad is going to get get beat up pretty bad in this fight. I dis I disagree. I think this fight will be more competitive than people think. I do have Ed Leon Edwards in that fight, but um, I think I think it's going to be more competitive. I think Leon wins, but I think Bilal is going to. I think he's going to impress some people and prove he's one of the top ten welterweights in the world, even with a loss or a close loss. So. Uh, not too bad of a rant. Not too bad of a rant there. We just broke down why each welterweight decided to decline Leon Edwards in short form. So, 
not too bad but i once again let's get some more let's get some of these welterweights matched up because we've got a lot of stagnant guys we got a lot of guys who aren't fighting at welterweight so hopefully that changes and that was the only piece of other news that we had this week in the ufc so now we're going to be looking forward to ufc fight night jair jarzinho rosenstrike versus surreal gan now i am very excited for this card from the main event to a lot of these other fights on here are a lot. They've got a lot of fun fights. A lot of fun fights here. We'll start at the top with Jorginho Rosenstrike versus Surreal Gan. Now, um, I think this fight is going to be so close. So close. Um, we have two guys with similar similar um, approaches. We have two decorated strikers. Two very decorated strikers with a lot of kickboxing kickboxing experience. But I lean towards Surreal Gan in this fight. And I lean towards Gan because I think he has better movement and he's lighter on his feet. And I think that is going to I think that is going to play a factor in this. And Jarzinho Rosenstrike. Um it's he's almost gotten to the point where he's underrated now after that loss to Francis. But I think this is gonna be a very close fight. I think this is if you like if you like watching technical striking, this is the number one heavyweight fight. Two of the most technical heavyweight strikers. So if you're a fan of technical striking, chess game striking, this is the fight for you. And I think the movement is for Gan is going to be the difference maker, the movement and speed. So I'll take Gan in this one. Um, it's heavyweight, so it could be a finish, but I think it's going to be five rounds of of. Very technical striking. But if either guy gets a finish here, I wouldn't be surprised. Jarzinho has elite power. And Surogan is a heavyweight, so he does have power to put uh, Jarzinho Rosenstrike's lights out. So I think it's going to be a decision win for Gan, but uh, a, a knockout either way would not surprise me. And then in the co-main, we, we have Magomed Ankalev versus Nikola Kuroklov. So... I'm leaning towards Ankalev in this fight. He has so much power, and he looked great against Ian Kutelaba, his last fight. So I think this is going to be a banger of a fight. I'm excited for this one. Good co-main event. Two of the top 10 uh, guys in that 205-pound division. I'm excited for that one. We'll see how, we'll see how that plays out. And then uh, the third fight down, we have Mont Montana De La Rosa and uh, Bueno Silva. Um, I don't know why this is so hard high on the card. The UFC has been making some very questionable decisions on card order the last couple weeks. This doesn't make sense to me. Uh, I'm looking at the card on Tapology, and we are looking at the number De La Rosa is the number 24 women's flyweight, and Bueno Silva is the number 26 women's flyweight on Tapology, and then you have. Two fights down, you have Angela Hill versus Ashley Yoder. And Angela Hill's a ranked strawweight, and strawweight's the better division at the moment. And then uh, you also have Pedro Munhaus and Jimmy Rivera on the card. Two top-tier bantamweights. So I don't know what we're doing here. Putting De La Rosa and Bueno Silva so high on the card, it doesn't really make sense to me. But that's the direction the UFC wanted to go for whatever reason. Um... I guess that's the way they wanted to go. Um, Jimmy Rivera and Pedro Munoz, like I just said, is on this card. That should be a very fun fight. I mean, these guys have been relatively inactive. I'm excited to see both those guys get in there. They've both had 
They've both ran the gauntlet at bantamweight. Um, I think I believe they both fought Aljo. One of them fought Piotr Jan, uh, Frankie Edgar. So both these guys have have really fought the top competition, and it uh, should be a fun fight here. Then we have Angela Hill versus Ashley Yoder. Angela Hill is one of the most underrated women's fight. You know, one of the most underrated fighters in the game. Um, she's twelve and nine, but a lot of those decisions have she's been on the opposite uh, hand of some very, very questionable decisions. So look out for Angela Hill. I think she wins this fight uh, convincingly and puts on a great performance against Ashley Yoder. And then I think she moves further up there in the rankings, and uh, hopefully, hopefully she performs well. Because anytime someone uh, loses some questionable decisions, I root for them in the future. Other fun fighters on this card: you've got Alexander Hernandez is back. He is obviously one of the. He was a top tier prospect in the lightweight division. He's lost a couple times. It'll be exciting to see if he can get some of that hype back. Welterweight: we've got Randy Brown versus Alex Oliveira. That's going to be a great fight. Simple as that. Alex Oliveira is a fun guy to watch fight. Randy Brown has been a very good prospect so far. So we'll see how that fight turns out. Then we have Alonzo Menafield versus William Knight. This might be the fight I'm most excited for. This fight, William Knight and Alonzo Menafield are both... <sighs> William Knight's last couple fights have been some fun ones. William Knight, they both guys here really have so much power. They're absolutely yoked. So they're going to th- go in there and they're going to throw heavy, heavy, Heavy shots. Heavy shots. So that should be a fun one. Do not miss that fight. It's on the prelims, but don't miss it. That's my message to you. Then we have Rane Bar- Barcelos versus Marcelo Rojo. So another one here. Don't miss this fight. We have Rane Barcelos, who is the number 13th ranked bantamweight on Tapology. And then you have um, Rojo, who is a very he's he's a good fight for barcelos here i don't know why they have barcelos so low on the card but if you want to see the future of this bantamweight division and a potential future ranked guy don't miss out on barcelos he's a fun fighter good fighter to watch so don't miss out on that one so i'm very impressed by the card they have put together here for a fight night a lot of several fun prospects with some good veterans and a very important fight on top of the main card. So you don't you won't want to miss that fight. They're that fight card. And so that's all I have for this week. This week is a little bit of a shorter episode. We didn't have much news to touch on. It was just that Leon Edwards and Bilal Muhammad bit. And then you're not going to want to miss next week's episode because next week's episode, we're going to be breaking down Rosenstrike versus Gan Gan that fight card like we usually do in the intro. And then after that, we're going to move forward and we're going to be looking forward to UFC 259, one of the most stacked pay-per-views, probably probably a top three pay-per-view in terms of um, in terms of just how stacked it is. Top three pay-per-view of all time um, here with Izzy headlined by Izzy Nyambahovich, obviously. So that should be a fight, a fun one. I'm going to have some fun breaking that down next week. And so don't miss that out. I'm going to be doing, I do prediction videos where I go a little bit in depth on predictions. I'm going to be posting one of those on TikTok for this week's fight card of Gan, Gan versus Jarzinho Rosenstrike. 
And then next week, I'm going to be doing them for the three title fights. So the TikTok is going to be getting more content here in the future. So go follow the Headkick KO TikTok. Make sure to follow other social medias. Twitter has been very active recently. Instagram, we have. And then we also have Verdict MMA. And we have uh, Tapology. Go follow me on those. You can see fight predictions and round scoring on Verdict MMA. You can see my rankings and you can see other fight predictions on Tapology. Uh, Verdict MMA only has the first, only has the main card for predictions and they have um, round scoring. So you don't want to miss that. Tapology has every single fight prediction um, starting from the first fight on the, on the prelims all the way to the main event. And Tapology is a very fun website where you can see people's personal rankings and those sorts of things. So you don't want to miss out on either. You don't want to miss out on any of that content. So make sure you go follow the Verdict MMA and the Tapology. And whether you're listening on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts or any other podcast service, uh, make sure you like, follow, share, comment, whatever that platform allows you to do. And thank you for watching the 18th episode of the Headkick KO podcast.